0: Well hey, I'm Ryan Moore and uh, I'm honored to be asked to be here and to talk to you a little bit about the book of John. So this is um, um, probably more exciting for me. It's been a while since I've actually gone through John in this way to kind of think about the overview of it and to think about what is John's message to us apart from going to the book of John and some of us might think about John as a place to quote a few scripture verses, namely John 3.16. Some of us might have some of our favorite um, stories or conversations that come out of John, but when we think of John as a whole, what is really going on there? And it's been uh, just uh, great for me to be able to revisit some of these things. Before I go any further, a couple of resources that I'm pulling from, and one of the things I like to do is pull from from things that will be accessible to you. Um, so that if you you know care to want to read more about this in the future, um, this great book called *Discovering Jesus: Why Four Gospels to Betray One Person* by T.D. Alexander is uh, a great resource, and um, a couple of these up here as well. But um, if you're interested, you can check those out later. But uh, I would like to get started with a question and uh, a little bit of group participation. This is not a question about what you think John is about. Um, so I don't. This is not not that at all. What I want are your, um, maybe assumptions or maybe the, the things that you think about. The first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the book of John, the gospel of John, what comes to your mind? There are no wrong answers here. Beloved disciple. It's like weird. No wrong answers. No wrong answers. It's the last gospel? It's the last gospel? Okay. Yeah. It's the book that suggests people that don't know Jesus. Mm. Good. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> what else? Can you learn more about the history in the book of John? The history. Okay, yeah, okay, great. Anything else? Good. I think it's always good for us to hear what, what we're thinking um, and, and what other people's, um, you know, just assumptions or or thoughts are about what it is we're going to discuss. I don't think any of those are far from, from um, you know, off the beaten path. I think those are things that all of us are thinking. As a matter of fact, what I wanted to kind of start with this morning or afternoon, whichever it is, is just a a story of what I think about the the book of John. I I tend to think about John as a little overwhelming, a little um, just... I get the first three, but this other one here, I'm not really sure what to do with. And and one of the things I I thought about as I was thinking about our time here, um, when when I went to seminary in St. Louis, um, uh, I'm trying to make this story as short as possible. Um, I was invited to stay with a friend of mine and uh, he said, yeah, I can stay here for, about, for at least my first year. It was great. And uh, then they had their second child. And he comes and he tells me, uh, you've got to leave, <laughs> basically. So there I was in this new place. Uh, I had no idea who or what was going to happen as far as uh, finding a room. So I thought, well, I guess I'll be renting an apartment or something like that. Four days later, I'm, I, a co-worker who's a fellow seminarian, but I just met him, just happens to say, hey, are you looking for a place to live? And I say, yes, I am. And he gives me the name of this lady called Beth Kessel, and he says, call her. Uh, she's actually looking for somebody to, to, to you know, it's a family that lives in St. Louis, to, to stay with them. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever called somebody that you've never met before to ask them if you could stay in their house. Uh, that's kind of how this conversation went. But um, she said, yeah, uh, we'd like to meet you first, though, which is, I think, a good step in the right direction. It'd be a little more weird if she didn't want to. And uh, she gave me the address. And now, I was thinking about this last night. I did not have a smartphone. Smartphones did not exist, really, uh, at, at this day and age. So I had to print out the directions, print out the, the, you know, the, the MapQuest directions. And I, as I remember driving, and here's really the point where, I'm, where I want to tell the story. Is like, as I begin to get off the interstate and, and onto another road and begin to get within like two or three streets of where this map has taken me, I start getting into an area of town that I really have no business being in. I'm not talking about a bad part of town. I'm talking about an extremely nice part of town, a place where there are gates, uh, a place where, where houses go from two stories to four stories. And I'm looking at the map, and I'm like, there's no way this is where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> you know, what, what in the world? And so finally, the street that I'm supposed to turn on, Washington Terrace, has this just enormous clock tower gate. There's a cop car there. I'm thinking, I'm going to be arrested. <laughs> I pull over, I get out of the car. Later, this is funny because he's really just kind of what we'd call a rent-a-cop and he doesn't do anything, but I just felt so out of place with everything that was going on around me. I went over and I talked to the guy. I said, I'm here to go see this lady. Does she live here? Oh, yeah, she's the eighth house down the street. Come on in and, and I'm driving down here and I'm looking at these houses. And Later, what I would find out about this street, this street was, was built in 1900. and These were h- homes that were built for the World's Fair. And they're minimum 10,000 square foot homes, just this gorgeous uh, turn of the century architecture. They they built these places to to bring all of the world's um, national leaders to stay in. Is some of the history of the homes. I mean, things that you just dream about. But I'm driving down this street. I'm like, this can't be happening. Uh, what is this place? Where am I? and Finally, I get up to the the address of the house, and I'm literally just scared to even get out of the car. Uh, just, I'm going to go knock on this door. Which door do I knock on? I just... It was just too overwhelming. And and out of the front door comes this little lady. Her name is Beth Castle. And she's waving. And she welcomes me in. And we go into the house. And her husband's there, Greg. And they make me... I think it was a grilled cheese sandwich. And we sit down. And we start talking. And I got free rent in this amazing house for a year. And that's why Jesus loves me. And it's great. So... That's another story for another day. Why I think that is very helpful, at least for me, I don't know if this is for you, but when I think about John, I think about just this overwhelming gospel because of how different it is. And, and, and because it's overwhelming, we're almost afraid to even go into it. We're almost afraid to even approach its door, so to speak. Uh, very different language, very different pictures, very different um, just even, even style of, of writing as, as we'll get to. Um, but um, just, just like Miss Kessel, she came out of that front door. Uh, we find very quickly that the Gospel of John is so welcoming, so inviting, um, just like real cheese right and and I hope that's that 's what you guys experience you ladies excuse me experience when you go through this book uh this fall and uh, and and whenever you read this uh, this book um, that 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 we get begin to get past some of the the differences of what John uh, might look like to us and begin to see it as very um, personable and welcoming. So to that end, um, I'm going to give you guys some good content uh, because my, my aim here is to give you some things that you never really have to go back into your books and look for again as you study John, but that they sort of sit there in the back of your head. And you're like, okay, I remember some of the structure, some of the other data about the book of John, the purposes. So as you go through John, you can really kind of sink into what's being said, in the stories itself as the Bible study takes you through those things. And these uh, details sort of sit somewhat in the background, but also give us direction for how to understand John. So to, to that end, your handout there, let's just kind of start going through some of these things, and I'll be a mindful time. Um, uh, this is a question-free environment, so I'm not, not, it may not be an answer-free environment. I don't know, but uh, you can certainly ask all the questions you want to, and if I can give you a good answer, I will. But um, it's always good to sort of start with when you deal with any book of the Bible as as a date and a purpose. And for the most part, people date John 85 to 90 A.D., all right? Um, All the other Gospels come in 30, 40, 50 A.D. So John is our oldest Gospel. That's going to be important here in a little bit. But John, as you can see there, if I have that on your sheet. No, I don't. Uh, He wrote this in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And the audience to whom John is writing to, which is also very important, um, is really it's really a universal audience. He's writing to both non-Christians and he's writing to both Christians. And his aim for the non-Christians is that their strength would be, or their faith would be strengthened. And his aim for the non-Christians, the unbelievers, is what? That they would believe. And so that is why John, which may seem kind of strange to us, actually has more universal language in it than any other gospel, like light and darkness. Maybe not so much universal to us in the way that he uses it, but to that day and age, the Greco-Roman age, this would be very common language for those people. Other common languages are like, words like truth and lies, salvation, judgment, God, the world. Very universal terms that John sits with. And because of that, it's extremely accessible and appealing to um, unbelievers. What would be the purpose, then, of John's writing? And in all the Gospels, you're always asking that question, why is this person writing this letter? Thankfully, though, John was kind enough to actually tell us why he was writing this Gospel, and we get our purpose statement, you want to write this down, or actually, I wrote it down for you, sorry. John twenty thirty to 31, tells us why he wrote this Gospel, and the reason he wrote this Gospel is so that you might believe. Part of the evangelistic tone of this gospel also has as its intent that believers would continue to believe but also continue to grow in their faith and i put a quote here on your handout by nt wright this is from john for everyone very um accessible commentary uh says this book is like a pool that's safe for a child to paddle in but deep enough for an elephant to swim in i think that's very appropriate about john Okay? So that's a little bit about the date and the purpose and the audience, too, of who John is writing to. So you can begin to think about it in those categories as you read. Um, let's talk about authorship for a little bit. Now, I don't know if you woke up this morning thinking, man, I really want to get to the bottom of some internal and external evidence of why I can believe the Gospel of John. I take it for granted that most of you all come in here this morning, hey, I believe that John is, you know, uh, one of the Gospels and, you know, it's trustworthy and and God wrote it through John. And I don't have to, you know, really. But maybe your neighbors or friends are a little skeptical. So I always think it's so good to kind of go back to some of this stuff to find out why do we believe that John is reliable? And it's a question that as we swim in church waters for many, many years, we just kind of stop asking. So I offer this to you all just so that you kind of have that confidence as you go into the book of John. Maybe some of you all find opportunities to share your faith or to share things about the book of John with non-Christian folks um, during this this study. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, let's look at this. You have two ways that you want to deal with um, authorship with the book. There's internal and external evidence, and I'll be brief about this. But internally, when you read the book, you realize that the author knows certain things, Um, And and because of those things that he knows, it it means this person must be a Jew, must be from this part of the country because he knows so much detail about this region. This person must have been one of the apostles because he's part of uh, the Upper Room Discourse, we'll get to later, where Jesus is with his disciples the very last time and administers the Lord's Supper. And so scholars are taking all this data and they're sort of, Finally, you know by a process of elimination saying that while the, the the author of john does not fully come out and say this is who i am it has to be john son of zebedee um, because of that process of elimination a couple other things we notice internally about the book um, not only does it have to be an apostle as i said not only does it have to be somebody who's jewish and familiar with the details of the region because of how specific he gets in his gospel but uh, this this beloved disciple is always with peter and one of the things we learned about the Gospels and other books in the New Testament is Jesus had this inner circle. And the inner circle was Jesus, Peter, and John. Another thing we notice about John is that John never mentions John's son of Zebedee by his name. And it's one of those things that kind of, well, why, why would somebody not write their full name into the Gospel? Well, it's because he's probably the author of it. And so these are just some of the things that begin to come to the surface that help us understand who this John is because there's lots of Johns, okay? So we're going we're to say, we believe, that it's John, the son of Zebedee, who's also the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and also the author of the book of Revelation. All right, that's internal evidence. The, 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 the external evidence, which I think is also very interesting and it gets more to the point of why I really decided to leave this in here, is that um, the book of John was from the get-go, received by the early church. And to the degree that you study the formation of the canon, uh, there, was, there was sort of this inner canon, this inner Bible before the other books were recognized by the council, uh, by, the, by the church, and not to go down that road. But um, John was always one of the first to be included. And there's really, really good reasons for that. Nobody questioned whether or not these things were true, that John was its was author, and these, that these things happened. And one of the reasons that I appeal to the external evidence for you is that when you deal with the Gospels, especially John, you're dealing with history. And whether you believe that this stuff actually happened, whether you believe that Jesus', Jesus claims are true, there is no doubt and no question over whether or not Jesus existed whether or not these people actually lived and breathed and walked in these places. And I think that's a very encouraging thing for us to remember, that as we, 2,000 years later, engage in this discussion with the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or any aspects of the Bible, that we begin to come back to the fact that these people lived and breathed just as you are today. And here's their accounts. Some of our early church history has Irenaeus, who's an early church father who wrote at the end of the 2nd century. He wrote a statement that he heard from Polycarp, who was a, also an early church father who got martyred. I think this is cool. In 156, not the martyrdom. Um, but here's the statement that he had met the Apostle John and he listened to his account of the miracles and teaching of Jesus. And when I think about that, it helps me come into the historicity of everything here. That there was somebody, um, you know, who, who would have known that John's gospel would, would be in the position that it's in? But there's actually somebody, this guy named Polycarp, who would later be martyred, um, who had conversation with him about this. Who actually sat and talked to him about all the things that are in this gospel because of its historicity, because it's real and it really happened. We learn that uh, John the disciple and other writings uh, from the early church history historians um, record a lot of things that just simply identify with uh, John being the author here of this gospel. And again, you know, this stuff really happened. And I want to put that before you. And I don't want us to overlook that or think or maybe make that one of our assumptions as as we as we do sometimes as, as church people. All right. So that's some of the evidence here. Uh, well received on the outside, um, internally well documented and, um, and believable. OK. Let's move on then to more of the substance of the Gospels. And one of the things that, that I, I find helpful is... Beginning with contrast, what separates John from the other three Gospels is going to be one of the things we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at what's unique to John. Um, But briefly, why four Gospels? Anybody want to take a stab? So Luke, I don't know if he ever knew Jesus very personally or what. But um, more than likely, he did. But I mean, just that uh, there's there's four different accounts, personal accounts of being with Jesus, and I think that validates his reality of being a person. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why why not five? Why not one? No, I mean, like, actually, well, actually in the canon, we'll say. Actually, in our Bibles, right? Like, you know, why why four? Why do we... I don't know if you all ever asked that question. I think it's helpful to begin with as we get into the content of John. For the sake of not putting anybody on the spot, let me just kind of move ahead. One of the reasons we have four is because it gives us just a great perspective from different angles of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And those perspectives, although differing at times, never contradict or take the, take away from what actually happened, which would be the more of the thrust of all the Gospels, which is Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Um, those, are, those are always the focal points of the Gospels in, in the New Testament. And while we might have different accounts of those, it's never taking those things away. You might think about it, about it like this. I don't know if you all um, watch Band of Brothers like I do. Um, but maybe you have other people who do but you know any kind of good war movie or any, any movie that's representing history um, is going to have and going to pull from different accounts from different people and the Band of Brothers pulls from at least 11 of those individuals who survived all that it, they encountered and they give you stories of their different foxholes and, and their different battles and the things that they saw but none of it takes away from the greater stage of the war itself and what happened none of it contradicts the fact that Nazis existed and that the United States came over to fight and, and, and to do what, what we did, right? I think in that, that way, um, the gospels, the, the grace of having four Gospels gives us four fresh accounts and, 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 and perspectives, even, on the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so um, that can be a, a hang-up for some people, but when you begin to realize that each author had his intent and had his perspectives and had his things that he wanted you to know, those are going to come off a little differently. You know, If, we, if four, four of us were out in the parking lot today and there was an accident and cops came to sort of get testimony about that accident, um, none of us would say that there, an accident didn't happen, but we might have different details about that accident. We might have different um, perspectives on what happened or the things that we noticed, and we would, we would drive at those, those differences because that's what would make our, our um, transcript unique, okay? This is one of the reasons why we have four Gospels. Um, as we look at the other three Gospels, known as the syn- Synoptic Gospels, and, and that's a weird term because uh, we don't use that in our language today. Synoptic really means seen together. Um, all th- those three basically follow a chronological and geographical timeline. John's doesn't, which we'll look at in a little bit, which is why it makes it a little weird. But Mark is is the shortest Gospel. It's uh, one of the first and uh, focuses on being on Jesus being the Son of God and moving quickly to the cross, Mark interesting enough, really only highlights jesus 's actions there 's a sense of, of of immediacy going on there, and everything is happening now in the, in the present tense right um, and, and so john's John or mark sorry is is quick to get us to the cross and to the resurrection matthew 's gospel is almost twice as long as mark, but while while Mark is dealing with actions of Jesus. Mark put, or Matthew puts in, sorry, um, these uh, sayings of Jesus, these, these dialogues that are just different, and it gives us a little more fuller sense of what's going on here. Um, then Luke is, is, a, is known as the historian, and he has to of Jesus, which is a very important theme to Luke. Luke is one of the most vertical gospels, dealing with your relationship with God. Then we get to John, and like all the other three, he has an intent and a perspective and, and the way that I want you to think about John throughout is is the Bible study a semester or is it a year? I could, year? It is a year. Okay, I'll start saying year then. Is, is John sort of lets the dust settle and he, he kind of like an eagle flying about, you know, several thousand feet above the ground, sort of taking in everything that has happened and displaying this view of the life of Jesus Christ from this perspective. Um, and you'll see there's a... I think that I leave a, this quote on your on your paper I did here. This is um, the, the A. McLaren book or quote there says the other Gospels begin with Bethlehem. John begins with the bosom of the Father. Luke dates his narrative by Roman emperors and Jewish high priests. John dates his Gospel in the beginning. Matthew and Luke take us to the cradle and the manger, marked to the prophecies of old. But John takes us back into the mists of eternity. There is this sense in John that we're just sort of coming into this thousand, you know, thirty thousand foot view of everything that has happened. And one of the things that I, I like to think—I like to think in images—as I contrast the four Gospels, you know, you read Mark, you kind of have dust in your mouth; you start coughing as you read it because it's so. You're just kind of there on the path with Jesus. Uh, Matthew brings us into this sort of Jewish culture, and and, and sometimes it's, it's called the Jewish Gospel. In fact, pulling large chunks of the Old Testament in to show that particular type of people that this is who Jesus was. Luke follows all this up with great detail as a historian. Um, and then, you know, John there um, kind of says, look, go out to, go, go take this to other people so that they might believe. And I think, you know, in, in terms of Matthew's gospel, the, really the only one that ends with the Great Commission, go make disciples of many nations, John then would be, here, take this, this is what you're going to take to go make disciples of many nations, would be an appropriate thing to think about in, in the way that, to view John's gospel. Um, as he kind of takes this view from uh, so many feet above the ground after all the other Gospels have been written. A few other notes about John and his Gospel. Uh, as I mentioned, there's no geographical or chronological dating here. Uh, so if you're looking for you know, order, <laughs> which for those who are, are probably the ones who are most frustrated with John, you're not going to find it. He takes that out of the equation, so he allow, he, he's allowed to put things where he wants them to put according to his intent. So don't read John with a chronological sense. Don't read it with a geographical sense. John is more intent on putting Jesus in Jerusalem than Galilee and anywhere else in those travel narratives that like Luke has or in other places in Matthew and Mark who take him into the ministry of his younger years in Galilee. Um, John, John wants to keep him in Jerusalem. A um, couple of other things, too. Um, one of the things I love most about John, if you'll notice it, too, are the discourses. Um, no other gospel does he does he do we get these long conversations with people, um, and, and it really is one of the most richest points and aspects of the gospel. Of John, uh, for example, uh, Nicodemus. No, and no other gospel, but we get that you know the whole, almost the full chapter of him dialoguing with this person. Uh, in the very next chapter, uh, the woman at the well. This wonderful dialogue between Jesus and this woman. Um, the details are just so great. We don't get that. We don't get that kind of discourse in other gospels. And so John one of the things he, he gives us are these and there's four or five others that are in the in the in the book. He gives us these really rich, long, detailed conversations with people. So those are some of the differences, okay? Yes. Okay. What he means uh, by what's to keep us in Jerusalem? Well, some people are, you know. So when you deal with Matthew, for example, basically what, I'm, what I hear you saying is why is that important? Yeah, like what does that mean? That, are you saying he just focuses on the events that occurred in Jerusalem? Or he just doesn't really care that an event happened up where he kind of presents it like, and also this happened well. It seems like he's telling like it happened in Jerusalem also, but maybe, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, some people, with, some people with a more skeptical eye might say, well, hey, when I look at Matthew and Mark, I hear Jesus going on and around and going through the countryside. Okay, John, I don't see that. Why is that? And, and the simple answer is just, John doesn't care about that. Yeah, yeah. No. Now, he, he does care to keep John in Jerusalem because one of his audiences, we'll, we'll, you'll notice this, The first, we'll get, well, I'm, did I over, overdo, overlook this? I'm not sure. For the record. The first half of John... His audience really is the, the um, Jewish leaders, and that's probably why a lot of his settings are deal are are stay in Jerusalem. When you get to chapter 13 and on, that audience goes away and it becomes his disciples. So something to note as you go through the reading there of who um, Jesus is talking to. But good question, thanks for asking. Yeah, are there any other questions or things I can kind of try to clear up or make more confusing? In my answers. Okay. So those are the differences. So some of the differences um, than the other uh, three Gospels. So what's, what's unique about John? Um, one of the reasons John's overwhelming is because 90% of it is unique. There isn't, you know, the 90% of John's Gospel, it doesn't either occur in the other Gospels or he gives us new and fresh details to the same stories. Um, And so you're reading these and you're you're going through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you're like, I get it, I get it, I get it. And you get to John, and you're just kind of out in space, and you're getting all these little pictures of these wonderful events and things that are happening, and then new details, and that can be confusing as well. Um, But I don't want this to discourage us towards the unreliability of the Gospels. Uh, Rather, it reminds us of each author's intent, remember, and and the purpose behind that letter, Um, why John would choose to include certain details about certain stories that might show up in other Gospels, but those details are missing. Major parts, um, I'm looking at your handout here. You'll see the major events, I didn't go over this, but I'll let you read this, in the synoptics, not in John, you'll see on your handout there. Just some things to note that these things don't show up in John, but they're in all the other Gospels. but the, the, out, the, the, the outline there, the unique to John's gospel, I won't read all those to you. But those will be some things that as you go through the book, you'll know that this is only in John. And um, that will help, help you kind of gather some of the themes and some of the um, purposes of John's writing. I won't read that to you because I trust that you all can read. Um, moving to structure, uh, there's, a, there's a basic structure there. For the book, I put in. Some of you all are doing, uh are reading a commentary. I think the leaders are reading a commentary. Uh, Bruce, um, yes, right there. Yes, that's right. The bold ministry of pre-incarnate King, incarnate King, and the risen King. That's his outline. I wanted to give the give you that since uh, you're reading his stuff. But you can you can break John into two sections, and then each of those sections almost have two. Um, the, the, the two parts in the middle, or if you, sorry, if you break John in the middle, you have the the first part, which is John 1, which is the introduction, the, or the prologue is what it really needs to be called. We won't get into this, but the prologue really is an outline of everything he's going to talk about. Um, but you have this prologue, this unique prologue, this like nothing you've ever read before. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. And then you get immediately into chapter two to eleven. You get into these signs and and these uh, discourses that Jesus has in his ministry. And so that's the first section, chapters 1 to 11, chapters 1 to 12. And that can be broken up into the prologue and into um, the life of, or the the, um, signs and discourses um, of his ministry. Then you have um, the second section, which will begin at chapter 12. Um, And 12 changes audience, as we mentioned. Uh, but you have, 12, you have 13 to 17 are, is this Upper Room Discourse, which are four chapters of Jesus with his disciples in the Upper Room, and it's just them talking uh, with his last meeting with them. Okay? Uh, the other Gospels, uh, this is where you have the Lord's Supper um, instituted. Um, and then finally, chapters 20 to 21 is the second half of that second part of, of John that gives us the resurrection, and gives us uh, Doubting Thomas, and gives us my favorite story in all the Gospels, which is the reinstating of Peter. We'll talk about that in just a second. But this gives you a little bit of a grid, I think, to kind of just think about as you read, okay, this is, this is where we are, this is what's going on, and it helps me understand the flow here of John's purpose and intent. Any questions about that structure? I'm going off of my notes, and I'm looking at your notes, and some of those are confusing to me because I didn't add everything. But I don't want to be too long-winded either. So, any questions about that? Okay. Main themes. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. I think we're, we've got about seven minutes. Um, if, if you leave here wanting to sort of know what is one thing to take away from the book of John, or what does John want you to take away from the book of John, it's believing, It's belief. So it be the one main theme here. I, I, I'm careful to not just sort of subscribe one theme to one book. Um, certainly there are multiple themes in this book, but believing is probably the, the biggest one here for many of reasons. Um, I think, interesting enough, the Greek word for belief is, is pistos, and it shows up um, 98 times in the book of John. Yes? Mm, You're thinking of John the Baptist. Yes, thanks for saying that, because there are two or three other Johns in the Gospels, and this is why this is confusing. So John, son of Zebedee, which who wants to even remember that name, right? This is the one we're talking about, and it's hard to keep these straight. So, yeah, John the Baptist, you're right, paving the way for the one to come. You see him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, but um, different John here, so... Thanks for bringing that up. Um, the, the word for believe, believe here shows up 98 times in John, and that's, that is huge. 20, that's 25% of the times the word believe is in the entire New Testament. And so one of the things we begin to glean is I think John wants us to believe. You know, we can start to say that. We can say that's true. So, um, and, of course, it goes back to that purpose statement in chapter 20, verses 25 to 31. Um, other other themes. Who is the Messiah, John is asking? Or Christ, which is both those terms of the Messiah's Old Testament, Christ's New Testament, word for Messiah. Um, those, those questions are being asked. So that's a theme. Uh, the Son of God is the most important title that John subscribes to Jesus in his gospel. Um, he wants his readers to know that Jesus was human, but he was also God as well. Um, other Gospels, um, while they don't contradict, they are heavier on other different, different, different labels. But Son of God is who John wants you to know that Jesus is. He uses the word Father 137 times in his Gospel. Okay? And lastly, the New Exodus um, parallels references uh, to the book of Exodus. With our time, we won't get into this. But three distinctions, th- three things that really show up in the book of John that are so unique um, are, as I mentioned, the signs um, that, that we see there, like turning the water in the wine and all the way to Lazarus being resurrected. Um, as you read, that, read the gospel, they're called signs. There are, are a lot, there's a lot of conversations about feasts. There, John takes us into three uh, trips to Jerusalem centered around different Jewish feasts. Those are important for the timing and for some of the things that he's trying to get his readers to know and understand. And then lastly, the I am statements, very unique to John. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the door. All right. Um, what do those things have to do with Exodus? There are huge amounts, huge amounts of parallel and overlap between the book of Exodus and other books of the Old Testament, but definitely the book of Exodus, with those three themes and as, as to what John is deciding to talk about in the book of John. And, and not to go too much, too fur, too much further into this, but, um, or, or to, to belabor this point because I'm running out of time, um, but one of the things John wants, wants us to do with that, he wants us to make those connections to, to Moses and Israel and Exodus, um, which is the story of what? Going from slavery to freedom. Going from the, the bondage of being enslaved by Egypt to going to freedom and life uh, to live as God's people. Okay? John, throughout his entire book, is saying, Jesus is this new exodus right? He died on Passover, okay? Huge connection to the Exodus. He is the new Passover, is what John wants you to know. And, and where Israel went from bondage to freedom, we do what? We go from, from, from the same thing, from, from bondage to eternal freedom, right? The bondage of our sin to eternal freedom in Jesus Christ's salvation. That's his connection. But what's his hook? What's his hook? How can you have that eternal salvation if you what? And that's his whole point. You got it. You got it. Okay? My favorite story in the book of... I'll leave you with this in the book of John is the restoration of Peter. Um, Peter just... <laughs> got to love Peter. Uh, we're actually doing a sensible class on him starting this Sunday. But, you know, this guy, um, lots of heart, big mouth. Um, you know, he... Uh, <laughs> He gets it right on so many levels, he says, "Hey, I'm, you're the Christ, Jesus." And then in the same discourse, same conversation, Jesus essentially calls him Satan, because he wants to get in the way of him going to the cross, right? He gets it, he doesn't get it. Um, and so really in Peter, and we see a lot of ourselves in, 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 in him. Um, but it's nothing so hard than, or nothing is harder than seeing Peter, though, at the end of his ministry with Jesus, actually end up denying him three times. And I think that if we kind of deal with some of the things that we deal with up here about ourselves, you know, the guilt we carry around, the, uh, the ways that we feel about ourselves, that we're just not good enough, or we, I didn't do this well enough, I, I'm just not as good as other person, you know, we probably don't put ourselves in the camp of Peter of actually visibly denying Jesus three times, okay? Now, our theology would say, oh, we're that bad, right? But until we get there, We've got to also move with Peter as he receives the grace of God in that moment, too. You know, that Peter, uh, as he is fishing, sees this man on the shore cooking fish. And as soon as he sees this, Jesus, you know, what does he do? Strips off and he jumps in the water. I mean, he just can't get to him fast enough. Right. Uh, and he gets to the shore and you've got to kind of think about, man, is this going to go well or not? Um, but he doesn't care. He's so excited to see him. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> Excuse me. He gives that wonderful, you know, three three times. <laughs> Sorry. Do you love me? Right? Wasn't expecting this. We're women. It's, okay. I know. I know. it's so good to be with y'all. <laughs> um and I, and I had to put myself there on the shores. That, you know, that's us, right? We sit there. We hear Jesus tell us it's okay three times. And he loves us still. And that grace is for y'all. And that's one of the beauties of, of the book of John. And so I hope that you feel that and experience that as you read it. Um, whatever details were just sort of ridiculous and overwhelming, forget about those. John wants you to believe. And he wants you to keep growing. He wants you to experience this real Jesus, but experience the grace that he has for you, the same grace that he has for Peter. So with that said, I'm glad we got through this. Um, Are there any any questions I could just try to answer quickly as we transition out of here? All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, John and we thank you for his gospel. Uh, We thank you for uh, the detail in in his mind and his personality and the things that he wanted us to know. but, Lord, we we, think, we we see that, and, we, and we're thankful, though, so much more for you. We're thankful for what you've done for us and for who you say you are, that we can read 2,000 years later the things that you want us to know about who you are. Um, and as we just said, we thank you for the grace that you give all of us, uh, even Peter. Um, and we pray that that would be our um, our identity. We pray that that would be our, our, our song as we study John this year, as we fellowship with one another as we engage um, with our families and our friends and neighbors Um, or that we too would believe and we would call and 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 through your grace call others to believe as well Um, we ask all these things in your son's name amen